Hello, and welcome to Book Club of One. I am Jacob, a librarian, and through the course of a year I read a lot of books. Join me as I detail and share my impressions of the books that have entertained or educated me the most. Welcome to episode 20, Thankfulness for Short Books. So here we are almost to Thanksgiving, so the year is drawing to its close. Who knows, we might be back in a lockdown soon, so listen here and maybe think of a few books you might want to borrow from your library or friend to help you get through that. Episode 20 also finds us having 90 books featured across at the episodes and 300 cumulative listens to the show. So both things to celebrate. From our reading soon and books in progress, just a quick catch up on those. Uh, the Lord, I did make it through the first three books of the Lord John series, and I certainly enjoyed the short stories, but overall did not think that they merited a feature compared to the other books read in, during that period. A special note for this episode is uh, most of the books are shorter, 200 pages, uh, 300 pages or less, most of them under 200. So our first book continues our reading in societal issues. So this featured one is Conditional Citizen on Belonging in America. It is by Laila Lalami, who is a Moroccan-American novelist, essayist, and professor. She has written four novels, and this is her first nonfiction book. I heard of this work as, uh, if you listened or if not, uh, back in episode 16, her book, The Moore's Tale, was featured, so this is her most recent book that came out earlier this year. It is a collection of essays where Lilani recounts her process of becoming American while reflecting on what it means to be American, particularly when one is not white. So the book is a series of essays organized around particular themes, such as allegiance, faith, borders, assimilation, tribe, caste, inheritance, and finally concluding with do not despair of this country. It's a balance of her personal experience with extensive research and statistics. And much of it does circle back down to ex expectations and assumptions that are often made based on appearance. A particularly powerful section I found was on the ebook version, page 43, coexistence should not be passive or mere lip service. Quote, coexistence should be the active practice of becoming familiar, whether through exposure to works of imagination or through personal interaction with people who are different, end quote. And then picking up a little later on that page. The more citizens of different backgrounds know about one another, the better they are able to work together, form alliances on issues of common interest, and resist calls of division from merchants of war. The more you know about other people, the more you can identify with them. The more open you are to the other, the more likely you are going to be able to reach some sort of compromise. Book two is our longest book of this episode, and it is The City We Became, book one in the Great Cities series. It is by Nora K. Jemison, an African-American author of speculative fiction. 
Her works have been honored with three consecutive Best Novel Hugos for the Broken Earth Trilogy, as well as a Nebula Award, two Locus Awards, and a number of other honors. She is a member of the Altered Fluid Writing Group, and in addition to writing, she has been a counseling psychologist and educator specializing in career counseling and student development, a hiker and biker, and a political feminist anti-racist blogger. Although she no longer pens the New York Times book review science fiction column called Otherworldly, her reviews can still be found online, which she did for three years. So The City We Became I saw featured on many different lists as a new release, uh, but did not pick it up until after a colleague read it and recommended it. So The City We Became is about when a city reaches a certain critical point or mass, it gives birth to its soul. During this period of birth, an ancient evil entity seeks to either destroy or subvert the birth for its own purposes. New York City gives birth, but uniquely has five protectors' representatives linked to each borough. Can the best ancient can they best the ancient evil on their own in time to band together and save the city? So, as noted, this is the first in a series, so uh, the ending might not be fully resolved, so that's something to be aware of. But overall, I found it to be a great blend of social commentary and science fiction kind of magical adventure. The evil entity in this doesn't brainwash, but using its powers is able to manipulate the different uh, people it interacts with, so often using the pre-existing thoughts or tendencies. So someone who is already racist will continue to be racist. The heroes or protectives or representatives, however you wish to, to name them, uh, their powers or capabilities are reflective of the boroughs they're in. So for example, one of them is named Manny for Manhattan, and at one instance he, he weaponizes money. Or the, the different parts of the city that best represent the cityness of New York can give a boost to their powers. So an example is uh, an old brownstone home uh, provides the heroes when they're in it with some extra protection. It also showcases the diversity of cities while addressing history of oppression and unequal rights. So one of the other main characters at Bronca is a Lenape director of the Bronx Art Center. Uh, so she sometimes speaks to the longer scope of history than what we traditionally get in much of our classrooms. Something to think about as we're approaching Thanksgiving, which is very much focused on interactions with early settlers with the native peoples of the land. And unfortunately, we know how that went in the longer term. Book three, uh, as I read it, was actually three novellas grouped together as a book. So that was Sermons and Soda Water. John O'Hara was a white American journalist, screenwriter, and author. He wrote over 400 short stories, but also screenplays, novellas, and plays and novels. He is best known for the two novels, Appointments in Samara, 1934, and Butterfield 8, from 1935. This book came by way of a recommendation from Nancy Pearl and Jeff Schwager in their book, 
and their uh, author talk about the book, The Writer's Library. So it is three novellas, The Girl on the Baggage Truck, Imagine Kissing Pete, and We're Friends Again. All of them are focused on different periods in the lives of James Malloy between the 1920s and late 1940s. We see James from a young, ambitious man, mid-career sporadically visiting his hometown and trying to be more settled into later middle to old age. So O'Hare was well known for his dialogue, and it certainly does propel uh, all three of these featured novels. Just to offer you quick summaries of each one, Girl on the Baggage Truck is Malloy working as a kind of a fixer chaperone for a mid-range movie star in a promotional tour passing through New York, who is a having a f an affair with a shady financier. Imagine Kissing Pete is centered on two of Malloy's social circle from Gibbsville. Uh, they are Bobby Hammersmith and Pete McCrea. And this is, I think, my least favorite of the three stories, as uh, McCrea is kind of a, uh, a less popular person in their social circle. And upon his marriage, becomes a, a possible rapist. It is not quite clear from the story, but he is certainly consistent in the way he's described with a, a certain president who just reaches out for what they want. Uh, but Imagine Kissing Pete covers 30 years of this marriage with all its ups and downs and marital affairs. And the final story is We're Friends Again, focused on Malloy's friend Charlie Ellis and his home wrecking and marriage to Nancy Presswell. Uh, but also focuses on Malloy's relationship at the time. So for all three of those, having the same narrator and characters in common it did help tie them together thematically, uh, and it did provide different perspectives on getting older and the knowledge that can come with aging. So the, the line is, the, the title of it is pulled from a Byron poem, and it seems to be about when we're younger, we're more likely to make terrible decisions in, at night, i.e. when we're drunk or other, under other influences, and then dealing with their aftermath in the, old, in the morning and the eventual realization with age that you don't have to go out. Book four takes us back to Halloween with Tiny Nightmares, Very Short Stories of Horror, edited by Lincoln Michel and Nadzeli Nieto. So Lincoln Mitchell is a white American writer and editor. He teaches fiction writing at Sarah Lawrence College and Columbia University. Nadzeli Nieto is an American Latinx poet, author, and editor. Nieto is on the board of Latinx in publishing and an editor of literary fiction. She is the editor of several anthologies and is currently editor-at-large for Flatiron Books. I came across this through Book Pages magazine under their featured Halloween books uh, in the same article that Strange Women from last episode was featured. So Tiny Nightmares is a collection of over 40 new short horror stories by emerging and established authors. Each story of 1,500 words or less uh, in includes works by authors previously featured in this podcast, such as Stephen Graham Jones and Brian Evenson. So unfortunately, 
I was not able to, to get to this in October because it would have made for a great Halloween read. Uh, the stories are divided into four rough category groups, uh, such as the body and viscera, and those are provided with uh, uh, some drawings to, to help separate those columns. But lots of ground is covered across these stories. So we have body transformation, strange events, supernatural events, mysterious murders, witches and magic, dystopian futures, doppelgangers in space, and so on. And they do offer some different formats and ways of telling those tales. So we have a traditional story, the narrator-driven story, uh, and even one choose-your-own-adventure. And looking through these, if a story doesn't click or resonate with you, you're not losing much by reading reading on, because again, they are very short. Uh, and with that in mind, you can read these in small installments or in a few sittings. You could probably get through most of the book. Aside from the authors previously mentioned, like Stephen Graham Jones and Brian Evenson, uh, I think a particular favorite of mine was Guess by Meg Ellison, which is one of the earlier stories about someone who uh, is completely accurate in their predictions of the future, and that that plays out uh, when asked how people will die. Book five is The Health of the Commonwealth, A Brief History of Medicine, Public Health, and Disease in Pennsylvania. It is by James E. Higgins, a lecturer in history at Ryder University, and Higgins researches the history of medicine in America and abroad with a special focus on influenza in North America and European cities. He was the 2015 recipient of the Philip S. Klein Pennsylvania History Prize, and he holds a bachelor's from St. Vincent College and a master from Duquesne University, as well as a doctorate in history from Lehigh University. I came across this because Higgins presented uh, an occasional webinar for the Mid-Atlantic Archives Conference uh, focused on the influenza in Pennsylvania. So the Health of the Commonwealth is an introductory guide covering the medical history of Pennsylvania from the colonial period to the present day with an emphasis on public health and disease. And for a larger portion of that book's running time just with the way the government structured and expanded uh, over that course of time, there wasn't necessarily the public health organizations. And in the book, while it does offer aside and brief coverage of different outbreaks, it remains concise and an easy read. It does make use of photographs from the author, both the author's adventures of traveling around to these different sites in Pennsylvania and from materials he came across during his research process. And it certainly is an invitation for further exploration in these topics. Uh, due to its brevity, here are perhaps some of the more questions that I was left with. So it covers major advances in health and medical science, like the shift in practices due to germ theory and the advent of antibiotics, but in how it was structured, it tended to talk mostly about Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, with then some discussion on how that might, that information might travel out into the rural spaces. Also, the role of the environment on the lethality of diseases. So again, it talks that due to the heavy industrialization of Pittsburgh, a lot of people were more 
weakened so that when the lung ailments came through, they had a greater death toll than perhaps in an area with less pollution. And what does all of this mean in the face of COVID-19? So the book went to press uh, sh around the time or shortly before when the pandemic hit the US, but it did still feature an afterward touching on this topic. And there will certainly be much to unpack with that topic. Before we head out for the week, we'll just briefly touch on the reading soon or books in progress. So the first of these is Ex Libris, 100 plus books to read and reread by Michiko Kakutani, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning literary critic. Uh, Kakutani shares 100 personal thought-provoking essays about books that have mattered to her and that help illuminate the world we live in today, with beautiful illustrations throughout. From the introduction, in a world riven by political and social divisions, literature can connect people across time zones and zip codes, across cultures and religions, national boundaries and historical eras. It can give us an understanding of lives very different from our own and a sense of the shared joys and losses of human experience. Our other reading soon book is American Road, the story of an epic transcontinental journey at the dawn of the motor age by Pete Davies. On July 7, 1919, an extraordinary cavalcade of 69 military motor vehicles set off from the White House on an epic journey. Their goal was California, and ahead of them lay 3,250 miles of dirt, mud, rock, and sand. 62 days later, they arrived in San Francisco, having averaged just five miles an hour. Known as the first transcontinental motor train, this trip was an adventure, a circus, a public relations coup, and a war game all rolled into one. As road conditions worsened, it also became a daily battle of sweat and labor, of guts and determination. This has been another episode of Book Club of One. Thank you for listening. I welcome constructive criticism and book recommendations, or even if you found a book through this episode and want to share the story, feel free to reach out through Instagram and Gmail at Book Club of Uno. Book Club of One is recorded and distributed by Anchor.fm. And remember, no one should be shamed for reading.